Hello, everyone. Welcome to Killer Serials. This is Tony Jones. Hey, this is Ryan Parker. A couple dudes with PhDs in theology who talk about television. And Ryan, Rectify 301. I mean, th- this is... He, here's what I kept thinking as I'm watching this show. I'm like, this does this show even belong on TV? Should this have been a novel? Like, how, how did Ray McKinnon... Okay, j- just case in point. Season three begins two hours after season two ends. So it's like, there's no break, man. These people are... Everyone in this show is wound so tight. They're going to explode. And then, you know, you think when a season ends, like you're going to pick it up a year later because, of course, the actors have aged and, you know, it's been it's nine months since it was on. No, two hours later, <laughs> season three begins. Hey, Tony, this very frenetic end of season two. Tony, this in many ways feels like the quintessential rectify episode or a quintessential rectify episode. Because you're just going, you're just right in on the commentary. Like, you're not pulling any punches. You're not waiting around. Hey, how are you doing, by the way? You know, I had a week (laughs) off last week and we didn't get to talk. But you're just like right at it, man. I love it. But you're right. It it does lend itself to that immediacy of Teddy Jr. is still at the sheriff's department uh, trying to get a Twix out of the machine, which is like, to your point, it's what the series does. And you know what a what a cool experience it must have been to like wait have waited all those months and then when it starts it's like we're still here you know we're still in that moment but for me and you we waited a week right we waited a week and we were in it 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 means that teddy junior has not cooled off it means that amantha is still oh no totally upset with the fact that daniel took this Please settlement deal. It means that Amantha and John Stern's relationship is on the rock still. It means that Ted Sr. is still within 24 hours of finding out from the senator that his son was assaulted by his stepson. It means, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, it didn't, it's not like, oh, the dust is settled. Now here we are six months later and Here's how Amantha dealt with her disappointment at the plea deal. It's like two hours later, she's still freaking pissed about the plea deal. And she's pissed at John Stern. She's pissed at Daniel. And and, and, and the question is, are you management material? Yes. <laughs> well, well, Tony, this when I say when I said quintessential episode, you know, we've had the couple of writers that we've talked to. They like to conceive of, or they have talked about being in the writer's room, conceiving of breaking story, developing the narrative uh, in terms of ripples. Daniel got out, uh, got off a death row ripple season one, just riding those little waves. And then season three, episode one, we have just dropped the stone into the lake, which is Daniel accepting the plea deal. And that that little shock wave is what we're seeing in 301. And it's just so cool to see how that plays out, how that decision is affecting everybody in that family, how it's eventually going to affect people in the community. You know, to Amantha's furious because she worked. And you can understand it. I know, Tony, that you've had, you, you know, you have certain feelings about this character, 
but you can absolutely understand and feel her anger because she worked so hard for so long to help free Daniel. And then he's essentially admitting to being a murderer. Uh, even though he's not going back yeah. to prison, he's she she wanted him a free, exonerated man, and that is not what he is at the moment. You know. Well, I think Amantha, it, toward the end of season two, though she didn't articulate it, you can see it in her face. She's starting to consider the possibility that Daniel killed Hannah. You think? Yes, I do. I do. And I even found a, <laughs> I even found a um, an interview online with Abigail Spencer, the actor, about at, from the beginning of season three, and she says as much that Amantha had to finally confront the possibility that Daniel did it, which she had never allowed herself to think. And I just want to read you this quote: What the the interviewer asks her. Does Abigail spend so first he, th- he, he first he asked her, does Amantha think Daniel is innocent? And she says, yes, but I think she's I, I think she's basically for the first time had to consider the possibility that he's not. And then the interviewer asked, does Abigail Spencer think that Daniel's innocent? Here's her quote. You're gonna love this. She says, I'm gonna steal a Ray McKinnon line. He said, I think he did it, but I think he feels real bad about it. <laughs> That's what Ray McKinnon says about whether wow. or not Daniel <laughs> committed wow. the murder of Anna. Oh, my gosh. So there's just a lot going on. I do think Amantha is... I I feel like Daniel brought them all together, right? Daniel, the beginning of season one, Daniel brought this family all together and, and you know they were in the same room, all of them for the first time when Daniel got out of prison. And now we're halfway through the show. Daniel has Daniel has made a second confession, and now it's like the He's driving cent- them apart. The centrifugal force is becoming centrifugal force, and it's they're going from drawing them all together exactly what you just said. To, they're just like all spinning tops ready to spin off in their own directions. I even thought of that a little bit when uh, uh, when the the it, toward the end of the episode, Daniel's reading a book in a park and a mom comes and puts her daughter on a on a little merry-go-round thing. And you think, you know, those are those things that you when you were a kid, you'd spin them real fast and they try to shoot everybody off in opposite directions. And it just seems like that's what they're all everyone's shoot uh tawny's off on her own direction john stern packed up and left his key for the apartment with amantha um ted senior tells daniel to get out of the house jared doesn't come home for dinner and reconnects with his old girlfriend like every single character is now spinning off in their own direction and they all seem without purpose like um they're not going in, in any particular direction they're they're lost by the way, Daniel alone in a park is not weird at all, is it? Oh my gosh. So he just says, like, I'm okay. And I'm like, no, you're not. You know, it's kind of like table for one at Chuck E. Cheese, please. Like, it's just so creepy. <laughs> it, and 
It's like that but, woman. You know, who call, it's like the woman who called the bird watcher in Central Park. Yeah, exactly. Because, can you put please put a leash on your dog? You just like those episodes in parks. Now I get totally traumatized seeing that. In the in the moment when I saw in that in that scene with Daniel in the park, it made me think about John's comment to Amantha earlier in the episode. And John is is exactly right. At the, the danger, there's a great danger to Daniel too in the. Um, and what's happening as you're describing what's happening with the family as they're being driven apart, you know, John tells her he cannot do this alone and he needs a support system. He needs family. He needs friends. And at the moment, this decision isn't giving him what he needs. Now the, the alternative is, uh, you know, the same might be said about the alternative, but he is very awkward and he is struggling, continuing to struggle and find his way and even more so now that he is an admitted murderer. Um, and as word gets out in the community that he's, he's confessed to that. Tony, you talking about this, the family being driven away. I was intrigued by how some of the, some of the staging, some of the cinematography kind of emphasized that difference or that distance, you know, Ted senior, it feels like, the way that the the scenes were staged with he and Daniel were kind of emphasizing this barrier between the two of them. Like Ted senior can barely stand the sight of Daniel. He can hardly look at him. Uh, and then that moment, I thought it kind of, kind of summed this up perfectly when Teddy comes to the house while the family's eating dinner and he comes into the front door and they do kind of the shot reverse shot from, the table perspective looking at the front door when Teddy walks in and then from Teddy's perspective back at the table and the distance feels so exaggerated. The perspective feels oh so exaggerated, gosh. almost like, like looking down a long, long hallway. Tunnel. Yeah. And even Amy commented yeah. on it and she was like, this just feels so creepy because he, the way the lighting was and the shadow in between him and the family. But what a way to accentuate uh, the, the uncertainty, the anxiety, what yeah. the hell is Teddy going to say and do when he's here? Yeah, you almost you almost think Teddy's going to say, "Here's yeah. Teddy." Then <laughs> <laughs> he like he's just going to snap. He's just going to go, you know, uh he's just going to go totally mental berserk and attack Daniel. Like the 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 tension in that scene is intense. And let me tell you, I think my, my hunch, I, I, I love not knowing where this is going to go, but if you were asking me to place bets on who's the star of season three, the, the early odds would be for Teddy. And I, I think this is a moment where maybe Clay Crawford even elevates Right. We've talked about some great scenes. He's had some great scenes in past episodes, especially towards the end of season two. But this just see this seems prime for him to to explode. Not only that scene, but when Janet comes to his house looking for Tawny. Right. And he he finally has to tell her that they're having problems. His his inability to kind of be yeah. honest about what's going on. Uh, that weird tension, which you named in season one between him and Janet. And she was like, Oh, yeah. I should have never told, asked you to call me. I Janet. wish I hadn't asked you to call me Janet. And he says, no biggie. But the way, <laughs> no yeah, the way he carries himself, he's kind of hunched over. 
you know? Oh, and, yeah. And he's like, I, he's no, got to all... get to work. And it's just, he's such a sad sack. And he's unmoored. Tawny doesn't have, it's like, she is lost to the world. I mean, thankfully, she's got some friends that have taken her in, uh, which is, yeah. you know, you see some, I, I kind of like that because it feels like that's a church connection and somebody who's just really stepping up and doing her solid. And what a, what a lovely couple that is there. You know, she's acknowledging their struggles and, you know, he's being really polite and hospitable to Tawny and uh, just, it just all feels again. I I know I've said this a lot. It just, it all feels so real and layered. I think one of the interesting, one of the interesting dichotomies that I think we can explore about this. I mean, it happens in a lot of episodes, but I, it, it seems to me really, uh, evident in this episode is how everybody else is constantly lying to, to one another, except for Daniel. Daniel does not lie. Now he never, he's a minimalist. Okay. So let's just take the scene where Teddy says, can I speak to you in private? And they go outside and Teddy's coiled up, you know, tight, like he's ready to punch Daniel in the face. Although we already know that Daniel physically is stronger because he's already assaulted Teddy. Daniel asks, I mean, sorry, Teddy asked Daniel a series of questions and Daniel answers each of them with total candor. Uh, He doesn't, you know, what he doesn't do is try to exonerate himself. And he says, like, do you know where Tawny is? No. Did do you know where she was? Yes. But he doesn't go on to say, like, I didn't sleep with her, you know. Well, I slept with her, but I didn't have sex with yeah, her. He's just, just yeah. We, we just spooned all night, or we just snuggled because there's no way, you know, as far as Teddy's concerned, because Teddy is everything machismo, and you know, for Teddy, it's about male aggression. I mean, there's there is a toxic masculinity in Teddy that he, I mean, what was so embarrassing for him about the incident where Daniel assaulted him is the fact that he was overcome by another man and, and his pants were pulled down, you know, like it was the, it was the greatest humiliation there was. And obviously Daniel knew that and played on that and they're outside and, and, you know, Teddy, uh, maybe Daniel knows no matter how much explanation I give, there's no way Teddy believes I didn't sleep with his wife because yeah. why would a man yeah. ever climb in bed with a woman and not have sex with her? Like that would in never Teddy's happen. mind in Teddy's mind in Teddy's mind. Yeah. In Teddy's mind. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but, but what I want to point out is the, this difference, this, this, I mean, at some points I get a little bit like, Oh man, it's like every plot of every Brady bunch sitcom uh half hour where you know greg tells a lie it's a it's a white lie but it ends up meaning he has two girls invited to the prom and now he's got to figure out how he's going to get through prom night with two dates you know it's always based on some lie like uh the mom you know carol tells the girls but don't you know but don't tell your dad blah 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 that i'm going to do this it's a big secret for his birthday it's always that it's always a secret and a white lie that spins out of control but that being said 
I do agree with you that it's real life. There are a lot of pleasant lies. Janet does it a lot. They're, they're, they're in front of Jared <laughs> eating cereal. And they're like, did you tell Janet? No. Did, did you tell Jared about the miscarriage? No, I thought you would want to tell Jared about the miscarriage. And yeah. Jared's like, I'm right here. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a lot of this. And I know they're playing on this kind of Southern thing. And, but, What's interesting and why Daniel, one of the reasons he doesn't fit in is the guy's just freaking honest. He just tells yeah. the truth every time he's asked a question and you think yeah. he's going to get punched in the nose for it. And sometimes he does. And we've talked about the performativity of Southern culture. Yeah. And because of that, when you when you are someone who, uh, you know, we talked about what is it the kind of last or about midway through the second season with Leslie you know, when you, when you live that way, when you're on the fringes, you're kind of weird. If you're a yeah. truth teller, you're kind of, yeah. you're kind of weird. You know, you can't, you can't do that. Um, you instantly become an outsider. And speaking of Jared, it's Jared's got his pulse on the situation too. He, he is, if Amantha is frustrated because she feels like a lot of her work has been wasted, Jared is frustrated because there's still going to be a burden on this family now that Daniel's taken the plea deal and what what's Jared tell his, his kind of on and off girlfriend or his girlfriend, you know, he gets to leave, but we have to stay here and eat shit. Yeah. And that's such a challenge, right? You see, yeah, yeah. you see where there, this idea of tragedy of injustice of all the things that come with that, the rumor, uh, the judgment, that that's not going to go away. That's never going to go away. And it, it will probably follow Daniel where it gets around. People will learn who he is and what he may or may not have done. But for the, for the family members that remain, that's with them until they die. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, hey, Ryan, you already mentioned that Tawny's gone to stay with a friend, um, a friend from church. Very sweet gal who has a kid and then she reveals that she's had two miscarriages it's so funny because this woman's so open about you know like i had these two miscarriages and and then we went to counseling and i went to this counselor and i mean this is such inside baseball that you and i will get it but a lot of probably viewers wouldn't but when she's like oh and my our counselor is a christian oh but she's she's licensed and stuff too because yes yeah 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 (laughs) right a quick chuckle there. Yeah. I mean, I like, I went to a seminary and, and where they have a Christian, basically they train Christian counselors, but it's very clear. Like it's accredited by, you know, the, uh, the state and everything like that, because there are a lot of Christian counselors out there who are totally unqualified to be counselors. Oh, but I remember anyway, once, I remember once in seminary when, uh, I, one of our professors, it might've been kind of like a, you know, practice of ministry course or something like that. Right. Where you, where you're talking about weddings yeah. and funerals and all, all that kind of stuff. And the, the three pieces of advice that we always got was defer, defer, defer. Yeah. If yeah. somebody comes to you with a crisis, defer them to a licensed counselor. Yeah. We were told that like, it, it, you, there's no such thing as pastoral counseling. You can no. meet with someone once as their pastor, and then you get yes. them off to a therapist. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> you but are ahead, not so, a counselor. I know you're but, not. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to cut uh, you off there, but that, that was, was so funny. funny. I thought that was funny, but this 
this anxiety that Tawny has about, oh, I don't think Teddy would ever go see a counselor. And then she brings it up to Teddy and he doesn't say, you know, like, I would never go to see a therapist or whatever. His question is, how much did you tell these people you're staying with? And this guy, Mitch, like, oh, does Mitch know, you know? And Tawny's like, no, they're, you know, they're, it's, it's almost like he has, a, Teddy has a moment there where he could patch things up and then he just shoots himself in the foot at the end of that phone conversation he has with Tawny. And I just thought it was interesting, this play on, you know, going to therapy, Christian therapy, marriage therapy. And you do wonder where this path is going to take them because neither, neither Teddy nor Tawny is really being honest with the other right now. You know, Tawny's like, well, I don't know what if I'm going to come home or when I'm going to come home or what. I, and she probably knows. She probably knows, or at least she could be more candid about where yeah. she's at. Um, and Teddy is like, oh, I got customers. You know, like, no, you don't. Like, you, this yeah. is your wife. You're trying to win her back. But they're both, their heels are both dug in so hard. They just, they just can't show the grace to the other one that the other one needs. I like that you bring up that point about Teddy's question of, well, how much did you tell them or how much do they know? Teddy is so worried about perspective. And in some ways, this is maybe a reversal of, and I, I don't want to get into trouble here, <laughs> but it may be a, a like a, a role reversal where, you know, in the South, it may be that um, women care about appearance um, I think this is something that that crosses genders. I think Teddy, that question by Teddy shows that men care too. They're very aware of how they're perceived. Does does this woman's husband know that I may or may not have been assault sexually assaulted, or you know why you know why Tawny and I are having problems? But in, in this moment, it feels like to me. If you want to talk about being honest, like Tawny's honest too. Uh, and I think her honesty, there's a certain element of like, she just doesn't give a shit, right? Like she, it seems to me she wants to get to the heart of the matter. I know she's struggling with, is she going to stay or is she going to go? This weird thing with Daniel. But it seems to me she's looking for some kind of honest connection. And if that can be with Teddy, great. But she had something like that even momentarily with Daniel, right? As you talked about earlier, like kind of his inability to tell a lie. She, to me, she's she is on a quest for some sort of authentic connection. I think she finds it momentarily yeah. in this in this place of rescue and this home where she's staying. There's all these references to Miss Kathy, who kind of feels like yeah. maybe she's kind of a spiritual mentor to her or something like that. So. Yeah, it, it again, just not knowing, you know, when, when we only watch these in quote unquote real time alongside our recording, I, I'm very intrigued to see to see how that relationship either continues to fall apart or is somehow redeemed or yeah. reconciled. And it's not a very Ray McKinnon way to play it, but there's obviously also the the very obvious dynamic that you and I have both seen scores of times. And that's with somebody who grew up in a very constricted evangelical environment. And then they get married to, you know, their 
college sweetheart or whatever. And then they hit 30 or whatever. And, and it's just like this, they, they meet somebody who's dark and mysterious and sinful. And they start to think, what, what have I missed? What did I miss? And Tony, the next thing, you know, you're taking pictures of yourself on a yacht with your pants unbuttoned and yeah. holding a glass of what may or may not be wine. In a, in doing a tr- in a trailer park boys, uh, you know, uh, party. Yeah, yeah, I know, dude. Yeah. I know. This is what happens. Hey, <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about repressed, dark senator folks. Senator, dude, Did we see this coming. Here's what's is crazy. Also, is this the universe telling him he can go screw himself? I, I thought. I, I just want to say. We don't often talk about these kind of technical aspects, but I thought that the acting or whatever they did to make the side of his face go out, I I thought it was incredible. I was like, is the actor actually having a stroke on camera? I I just thought good, by the way. I thought it was played. He's so good. He's so evil. I mean, he's like he's like the serpent in the in the Genesis story. In in earlier I, in earlier scenes in this episode, you know, whether you know what with with the with the da the da yeah, I don't and, know if I told you this before, but he plays if he is this if he um, creates those feelings in you in this series, he plays the complete opposite of that um, in a film where he plays a chaplain. Oh, I mean, yeah. this guy's got range, uh, and we cool. we will do our best to try to get him on a police. Michael O'Neill, I believe, yeah, is his name. Um, but I totally didn't see this coming. I'm glad you brought up the DA. I think it's a kind of a good place for us to close because, um, or to kind of wind down this episode because at the beginning of the episode, you know, he's got these kind of, you know, really f- subtle but fiery exchanges with the DA about, yeah, how they're going to move forward. There's like he's expressing maybe some concern that she's after him and yeah, she's like just trying to do her job. There's reference to a, th- a fourth person who may or may not have been. Who's Christopher. Yeah. Who's Christopher. But the Senator, then he's, you know, he's like, I'm off back to Atlanta for state business. And then at the end of the episode, but I need to swing he, by the he, diner and check with my mistress to see if I may have one more. <laughs> I may have one more shot with this uh, beautiful waitress. And he Who goes there. Daniel. <laughs> yeah. And he goes there and you feel like it's a kind of a, you know, lack of a better word, like a little sweet parting. Yeah. yeah. And then boy, I had to do a double take like with the audio, just like you were talking about the way they shot the the audio uh the way he plays it you know you're kind of like wait what what's happening and then you know within a couple seconds you realize oh he's having a stroke yeah i mean uh, there there were moments where it's there there were two different times where it, it shot like a long shot from the outside of the diner and he, it's empty except for him and her and maybe one other person behind the counter and of course you think of the Edward Hopper painting Nighthawks. Whenever you see like a night scene, good art of a history diet, reference. Uh, there you go. Yeah, just with you know a, a, an art. Uh, I mean, a, a diner with just a couple people in it or whatever. And there he is, and then he has this stroke. It's just like holy macaroni. Let's speculate. Let's let's speculate. Uh, of course, you know, you and I don't necessarily 
subscribe to the this this idea that it's the universe getting him back. But narratively, what does this do? It seems like to me it it potentially we don't know how severe this will be. What what becomes of his character in the episodes ahead? But let's just simply say that he's if he is potentially incapacitated, he can't do his job. Yeah, it seems to me it suddenly frees up the DA to just explore this case. Yeah. And I guess it's a question to you, Tony. I don't know. And it, maybe I should check with my attorney friends, but is this case closed? Is it over? No, it's not. It's, you know what? You know how we know it's not closed and it's not over is because Teddy says two things happen in this episode. Teddy says, if you know, basically, if, if you if I find out that you're with my wife, I am going to press charges in spite of the personal humiliation just to see you go back in that box where you can't hurt anybody. Okay? But didn't. But okay. do, but doesn't the sheriff say it's too late? No, because doesn't. the sheriff says it's too late to squash the plea deal. But do you still want to press charges? And Teddy said, I never wanted to press charges. Oh, in the first OK, place. okay. I'm, only, okay. I'm only here out of you know, spite. And then we also know that, and this is what I, this is what I think you're getting at with what happens if the Senator is, is out of the picture for a while is we see the sheriff and the DA, um, in the morgue looking over George's dead bloated body. And the sheriff says, you know, I'm not beholden to the Senator. I, I I can basically, I can investigate this case however I want. And the DA is like, and the DA is like, yeah, like I never thought anything else. And then he's like, you know, I think it might be a suicide. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I that is definitely one of the possibilities. Like, yeah, and then they can't find a gun. He's trying. Sheriff Carl is trying to show, you know, his independence from the senator, and we know that he's been totally beholden to the senator. And he's intimidated by the senator. Um, and you do wonder if the senator is sidelined, if uh, Sheriff Carl is going to kind of come into his own a little bit. And you also wonder about the D.A. Like uh, she didn't seem very intimidated by the senator, but he was still up in her business all the time. And now maybe Sandra has a little more free reign. Who knows? Maybe she's going to run for his Senate state Senate seat. From a narrative perspective, it certainly does seem to take the 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 chains off. Yeah, in, in a sense that if the senator is still an active uh, participant, so to speak, then he is going to continue to kind of flex his muscle to kind of steer this as he wants it to go, but. Suddenly, if he's not really in the picture anymore, then, as you said, it certainly frees up all these other narrative possibilities that I think, you know, it'd be interesting to know and talking to the writers if if that was, you know, okay, ah, how can we get, you know, just because the senator goes back to Atlanta doesn't mean he loses sight of this. Right. But what's a way to potentially open this up? And uh, it'd be interesting to know maybe how that developed but yeah it was such a such a kind of a shocking conclusion to the episode yeah it was (laughs) it was really an unforeseen twist i think it's but it's so it's such real life you know i i could absolutely see it happening so 
Well, yeah. what another great episode. We're we're now we've rounded the corner. We've rounded the the halfway point. There's only six episodes in season three. Yeah, we're gonna have a couple of guests for season three, so stay tuned for that. And yeah, it's such a short season, Tony. Yeah. After you know, come come. I know these are kind of evergreen. This is kind of evergreen content, but you know, we're come September, we'll be finished with season three, and then we're in the fourth and final season, which is wild. Bringing in for the home stretch. Yep. Yes. Well, everybody, it goes by so fast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for watching. Be sure and watch episode listening. 302. Oh, yeah, listening. Thanks for watching. And right? watching. Thanks for, yeah. And listening to our podcast. We will be back next week with a breakdown of Rectify 302. Until then, everybody, be safe, wear a mask, take care. Take care.